Church, it's time for the Bible reading this evening. We are going John 17, 1 to 26. That is page 929 of your Bibles. It is a long one, so strap yourselves in. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name which you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, for they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. God. Good evening, church. My name is Ed and I'm the congregational pastor of this, our 7pm congregation. And... uh, We've got a shorter sermon tonight, so we've got more time for you guys to share things you're thankful for. But I have a a special treat for us here tonight of Jesus' personal prayer diary. Real treat. You've got it too, actually. It's in your laps, John 17. John Knox, the reformer, the English reformer, uh, 
called John 17 the Holy of Holies of Scripture. In this longest recorded prayer of Jesus, uh, deliberately overheard by his disciples, the curtain is pulled back and we are given a glimpse into our Saviour's heart. The, the, most, the most important people in the world are, are conversing about the most important event that has ever taken place in human history. And Jesus says, Psst, come and have a look. Come and hear what was on my heart. Come and hear the things I prayed for you that night before I died. So open up John 17 with me and let's hear what it is that Jesus prayed for you. Because here's a hot tip. The things that Jesus prayed for you are the things that God the Father loves to give. These things that he prayed are things we as his followers should pursue. And I'm going to point out three things that he prayed for us and three things we ought to pursue. The first one is glorification. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere along that way, Jesus stops to pray. And he starts with this very important little statement, Father, the hour has come. For us who've been reading John's Gospel, we've been hearing that Jesus' hour has not yet come, that it is coming. But now we hear it has come. And what is that hour? It is the hour of his death. How would you pray if the hour of your death had arrived? God, please, not me, someone else, give me more time. What does Jesus pray? Verse 1, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. What a different perspective he takes into his suffering. Well, the word glory is going to get thrown around a lot in this prayer, so it's important that we know what glory means. Uh, when I think of glory, I think of a, a triumphant sports player hoisted on the shoulders of their teammates after kicking the winning goal, celebrated by adoring fans. But I heard this helpful definition of glory the other day. It was a display of the excellence of one's character. Can you think it? of a more powerful display of the excellence of God than in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's very best was brought out by our very worst. All our hate towards him brought out the most strong expression of his love. We deserved death and he gave us life. It, it's played out a bit in the next couple of verses. Verse 2, Jesus says, For you granted authority to the Son over all people. How did Jesus choose to use that authority? He submitted himself to the will of the people, the will of the world, and we put him to death. But he did it so that he could give eternal life to those you have given him. What do you and I deserve from the God of heaven? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that all we deserve from God is the death that Jesus went and died. But he loves you so much that he went and died that death in your place so that you could have everlasting life. Verse 4 says this statement, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Sometimes I think we belittle the excellence of Jesus' sacrifice by sort of limiting it just to those few hours of the cross. And perhaps we might think, well, 
I could probably, you know, pull it together and hold it together and be really awesome for six to nine hours. But the only reason that Jesus' sacrifice was a substitute in our place was that it was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus' life given up for us wasn't just those few hours. It was every single moment of every single day of all the days of his life lived in perfect love for God and perfect love for others. That's something you and I can never do. That's what he gave up, that perfect life given up for us. In the cross of Jesus, we see the excellence of God's character. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably often go looking for the glory of God in the circumstances of your life. You want to see God's goodness and excellence shown in things working out for you. But I'm very tired at this time of the year. And I've been reminded that I need to always go looking for God's glory and goodness in the cross of Jesus Christ. There is always something to see and celebrate in God as you look at the cross of Jesus. So Jesus' prayer was that you would look to his cross, see his glory, celebrate his goodness, and that you would do that day upon day because there is always something worth celebrating at the cross of Jesus. The second thing Jesus prayed for was protection. Have you ever heard that, that saying that Christians are to be in the world and not of the world? That, that, that comment has come from Jesus' prayer, this powerful prayer that he prayed for us. Our temptation, though, isn't it, as Christians, is to be so of the world that we're no use to anyone or so withdrawn from the world that we're no good to it. Well, Jesus wants neither for you and I. He wants us to be in the world and not of it. And in order to do that, we need protection. So let's ask a few questions of what Jesus prayed for us that night to think about what protection he was praying. Firstly, why does he choose to protect you? Verse 6 gives us the answer. Jesus said, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. You matter to God because God chose you to belong to him. You are his special possession. But how do you know that you're chosen? We can get caught up on this as Christians, can't we? How do I know I'm one of God's chosen people? Well, you can know if you obey God's word and believe in his son. I used to get all caught up on this, but let's hear what Jesus says. Verse 8, For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I used to get all in knots about whether or not I'm chosen by God. But then I thought, actually, you know what? I have no control over God's election. What I do have control over is whether I'm going to pick up my Bible, believe what's in it, and trust in the Son of God who's revealed there. And because I do that, I know that I'm chosen. They're the signs. Well, how is it that we're protected? Verse 11, Holy Father prayed Jesus, Protect them by the power of your name. There is great power in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. It is more than just a label for God. It's representation of all of his being, his character, his goodness. And so to bear his name is to bear great power in your life. And if you're a Christian, you bear the name of your God. I think of a member of a royal family. No one would lay a hand on them because there's too many implications if you touch them. You bear the name of God. 
But verse 11 literally reads these words. It says, Holy Father, keep them or guard them in your name. So quite literally, Jesus is saying, stay close and stay safe. You stay close to God, you will stay safe. I have a little daughter who, uh, if she gets scared, what does she do? She runs to dad's leg and she focuses all her energy on clinging to my leg. And it's my job to protect her and watch out for her. She just needs to stay close to her father. Same for you, Christian. And what is it that you need to stay safe from? What do we need protection from? Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. The greatest danger that you and I face, Christian brother and sister, is the devil. And the devil will do anything he can to put to death that new spiritual life that exists in you because you trust in Jesus Christ. And he plays dirty, he plays mean, and he's not afraid to use any tactics to put your spiritual life to death. And, but one of the things that he loves to do is he loves to get the world into you. He loves to make you so entangled with the things of this world that you're no, no different from anyone else. There's no distinction, no difference, no holiness. Well, Jesus prays, verse 17, sanctify them. Make them holy, set apart, different. If you're like me, you often probably think to yourself, gee, it'd be a lot easier to be holy if everyone just left me alone. You know, I could be so holy if I was in a monastery, if I was on a mountaintop, if I was removed. But holiness has never been an isolationist pursuit. Jesus is holiness personified, isn't he? And how did he live out that holiness? It was part of a family. It was mixing with messy lives. It was hanging out with people who hated him, hated him for no reason. And still, he expressed holiness day after day after day. Well, Jesus prays that we wouldn't be taken out of the world, nor that we would let the world get so into us that we would be no use. Jesus' prayer is that we would be in the world and not of it. And what are we protected for? The short answer is we're protected for mission. We're protected so that through us, others might believe in Jesus also. Verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Sent into the world so that others can believe in Jesus through us. So Jesus prayed for your protection. Protection from the evil one. Protection from becoming assimilated with the world. Protection for evangelism to the world. Jesus prayed for your protection. And the way to stay safe is by remaining in him. Running close to him. Third and finally, Jesus prayed for unity. Now, unity, uh, here's a wonderful truth for you to consider. That the night before Jesus died, the night before he accomplished the most significant rescue mission in all of human history, Jesus Christ, your Saviour, had you on his mind. He was praying for you. Isn't that remarkable? The most important person in the universe prayed for you on the night before his death. And what was that prayer? Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, rightly so, Christians throughout the ages have worked really hard at trying to enact this prayer of Jesus for unity. But perhaps unhelpfully so, there's been a lot of uncertainty about what that unity is that we're seeking to enact. So I thought it would be helpful if we first clarify what unity is not and then think about what unity is. Firstly, what unity is not? Unity is not something that we need to create. It's not something that we have to go out and find what it is that brings us together with other people who claim to follow Jesus. So you might have seen this happen. All the churches in the local neighbourhood get together and they try and work out what is the, the lowest common spiritual denominator that unites them all. And they all back and forth over their dis- different convictions and they come out with the fact that they can all agree that Jesus was on about love. Uh, that is not unity. That is not what Jesus asked us to do. We don't have to go and find something to be united in. Secondly, unity is not uniformity. So normally in these gatherings, there's some impassioned Anglican who just decides, look, if everyone could just work out that we Anglicans are correct, then we could all be united under the glorious banner of the Anglican church. That is not unity. That's uniformity. When Jesus spoke about unity, when he prayed for our unity, he wasn't praying for church structures or denominational organisations. He was praying for us as individuals. Because when you believe in Jesus, something wonderful, something supernatural and miraculous happens. You become united in an eternal unity with the God of heaven, with Jesus, God the Son, the one who is one with his Father, You become one with God the Father, the Son, and subsequently you become one with every other Christian who believes in Jesus Christ too. And so you are one with everyone who believes in Christ, regardless of denomination, of background, of differences. You are one with them. And so there is scope for difference, difference of expressions of faith or expressions of worship. Do you know that there are people in this church who come to worship God at the ghastly hour of 8am in the morning. And you think, how could you do that? How could you worship God through set liturgy? How could that be genuine? And they look at you and think, how could you sing those songs with the repetitive choruses? And, and how can you actually genuinely worship God in that way? Friends, we're all different, but we worship the one Lord Jesus Christ. And amongst denominations, there's scope for differences of church practice and and churchmanship. And so I am one with every other Christian who, who believes in Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures through his disciples. I am one with them, regardless of what church they attend, where they're from. I am one with everyone who is in Christ. But if someone is not in Christ, someone is not in Christ according to the scriptures revealed there, then I can't be one with them. I'm not united with them. And I don't have to try and find something to unite because the unity we have is accomplished. It's in Jesus. And we need to live that out. So think for yourself, would you, of of the Christian that you are most different to, whom whom there is no worldly reason for you to be connected with. And, And think to yourself, there is more that unites you 
than anything that could possibly divide you. You are infinitely more united with, with that other Christian than anything that could stand between you. Friends, why does unity matter? Unity matters because God has left no pictures of Jesus Christ. There's no image of him that we know what he looks like. Yet as people walk into the Bridge Church and they find people who are young and old, they find people of different passionate political persuasions coming together, people different vocations, different backgrounds, different races, all coming together and finding something deeper that unites them. Well, they see, as verse 17 says, uh, as verse 23 says, sorry, that the world will know that God sent Jesus, that God sent Jesus and that these are the people that God loves. As we live out and express this unity together, we show the world what Jesus is like. We show him how good, we show the world how good he is, how glorious he is. So the things Jesus prayed, Christians, are the things we should pursue. You've been given a window into your Saviour's heart in his hour of greatest need. And what did he pray for you? He prayed that you would see and celebrate his glory in that cross. He prayed that you would be, at, that you would be protected from the evil one, protected from mission, protected to be in the world and not of the world. And he prayed that we would be united with every other Christian who bears the name of Jesus Christ. There's three things that Jesus has prayed that you can go out and pursue, go and enact in your life. But one last thing that Jesus prayed that's a future hope for us, and that is, you need to know that Jesus really likes you. Jesus really likes you. You might not like your own company. You might live with someone who's finding your company pretty frustrating. But Jesus wants you to be with him. So much so, he wants you with him eternally. Have a look at the last thing that he prays there. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Jesus has plans for your life. He and his Father have plans that they are putting in action so that you can pursue him, no matter how well or poorly you're going at pursuing these things that he prayed. He is working in you so that you can be with him forever and ever in eternity, so that you can get swept up, caught up in what God has been doing for all of eternity, delighting in the goodness and glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And your great hope, Christian, is that Jesus is working to sweep you up in that eternally.